Good morning, Fort William Baptist Church. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew 20, which is page 825 in your church Bibles. Let's read God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when everyone came, or when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last only worked one hour. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your revealed will for us. This scripture today is taken from Matthew 20. And in Matthew's gospel, before this parable that Jesus shares with his disciples, Matthew records Jesus' birth. He records the coming of John the Baptist. He records the beginnings of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in the course of this gospel, Jesus is revealed as the Messiah. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is revealing the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. I believe it's a really good practice to highlight things in the Bible. And when Jesus starts 
a statement that says, for the kingdom of heaven. That's like got a neon light shining on it or a, a brilliant light. We should be very, very interested in the kingdom of heaven. So this parable is about God and those he calls. God is the master of the house. He owns the vineyard. This idea, this imagery, this picture of a vineyard and laborers working in a vineyard would be something that would be instantly identifiable to uh, the hearers of this parable at that time. There were people that uh, maybe didn't have steady employment as we would understand it. Perhaps they weren't uh, locked into a particular trade or they, didn't have a mer they weren't a merchant. And so uh, there were a number of people that would just be collected in and about the marketplace. And they'd be hoping and praying to get hired for a day and be paid enough to live for the next day. And so this parable in verse 1 sets the stage with this picture of the vineyard and the laborers. In verse 2, which reads, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. A denarius was a silver coin that circulated in this region. It was a Roman coin. It was, uh, had the, an imprint of the Caesar on one side. And it was understood in this time that a denarius was a fair wage to pay someone for one day's worth of work, whether it was labor or uh, even perhaps a soldier received that pay for one day's of work. So, again, this is the, the hearers of this parable would have that understanding. And the workday itself that is reflected in this parable uh, may be slightly different than we might know in our culture today, but it would start at 6 a.m. and go to 6 p.m. So, 6 a.m. would be the start time. The parable goes on that in going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So this would be 9 a.m. So at 9 a.m., the master of the house, the master of the vineyard, goes into the marketplace and he says, and finds more workers, more people who haven't been hired yet, more people who haven't been called yet. So they went. Well, Verse 4 says, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So the agreement with these people that are starting three hours later is they'll get what is right. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, so converting to our clock, that's noon or 3 p.m., much later in the day, the master did the same. And amazingly, in verse 6, it reads, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Five o'clock, the master goes into the marketplace and calls some workers and says, Come work the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. which is what the master promised the people that came to work first thing in the morning. This should do something with you. You should have a reaction to that. One way or the other, you should have a reaction to that. Jesus does that in these parables. He's getting at the condition of our heart. So when these workers who had been there all day received it. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. The early workers that had an issue with how the other workers were being rewarded were essentially saying, this isn't fair. I was here all day. I got here at six sharp. I worked through the heat of the day and, and you brought these other people in later in the day and they didn't hardly work and they got the same reward. And this parable, of course, is a parable about God's immense grace. And the workers that had a problem with how the other workers were being treated too well were in essence demanding justice, right? We're good at that. We're good at demanding justice. The justice would demand something different for all of us. It's only God's grace that we get to work at all in the vineyard. This idea that God owes me something. This idea that, hey, I did my end of the deal, God, now you do your end of the deal. Man, that is not God's way of thinking. That is not God's economy. That is, that's our way. Our way of thinking is not his, apart from Christ. The master says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? I came to the Lord and received Christ as my Savior at perhaps a much later time in my life than some of you. I am the very picture of that worker that got called at 5 p.m. to come to the vineyard. 
That's how, I, that's how this parable hits me and strikes me. I have been blessed to be in the fellowship and proximity of God-honoring people later in my life. Those people who had been hired at 6 a.m., those people who did the heavy lifting, those people that worked through the heat of the day. And I'm so thankful for their ability with God's grace to understand that I am that 11th hour worker and they are that 6 a.m. worker. But our reward is the same. The denarius being salvation in Jesus Christ. But to really know God's love, to really understand and even have the ability to appreciate and thank him and worship him for this immeasurable grace that he's poured out. We have to, we have to reflect on our realities. We are under the authority whether we acknowledge it or not. I can tell you that in my life, I conveniently failed to acknowledge God's authority in my life for a great deal of my life. That didn't mean he didn't have authority. It just means I worshipped myself. I worshipped other things. And it wasn't the way we were created. We were created by a perfect and holy God. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship. All of creation was in harmony with God. There was nothing between man and God. That was what we were created for. We were created for this perfect relationship with God. Genesis 1.31 reads, And God, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Yeah, God didn't make a mistake in this relationship. Man fell. We're the one who broke the relationship. And we as descendants, carry that. That's how we're born. That is, our, that is our condition. We're born separated from God. Paul would write in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So this perfect absolute God, creator of everything, owner of everything, created everything good, but that's not where man took it. God is incompatible with sin. God cannot humor sin. God cannot look away from sin. Sin has to be dealt with. You would not, this God would not be worthy of worship. This God would not be the one that you would want to be in fellowship with forever, for eternity, if he had a sliding scale of righteousness. He said, well, just as long as you do a little bit more good than bad, you know, that's good enough. I mean, that'd be a lot like, it'd be a lot like a number of you committing the all exact same crime 
and going before a judge. And the judge says, no, I don't like you. You, you get 20 years. And then goes to the next person and says, yeah, you're not so bad. You get probation. Same crime, same condition. I mean, that feels arbitrary to us, doesn't it? That doesn't feel fair to us. Well, this perfect and holy and righteous God that we serve has no place for sin. So this sin problem had to be addressed, had to be dealt with for any of us to ever have a relationship with God. And Jesus did that. Jesus took that sin to the cross. And he bore the weight and the brunt of God's wrath as payment for all of the sins that you and I have ever committed or might be committing or are going to commit in the future. Jesus made a way for us to stand before a holy God, to boldly approach the throne. And it's so important to get our arms around that. I guess it's in our nature to do things. It's in our nature to want to prove something. It's in our nature to think that we can work our way towards God's approval. But we could never fix this problem of sin. We can't. We can spin our wheels in it but we can't fix it. Jesus Christ is the only solution to that problem, that sin problem that we all have and was born with. Paul would write in Romans 5, verse 8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's the game changer. We were dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions. There's no hope for us to be in a right-standing relationship with God until Jesus solved that sin problem for us. And brothers and sisters, it's really, it's really, really important to get your arms around this and hang on to it There is no middle ground on this topic. Jesus' words recorded in John, Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That should put to rest any fleeting thoughts that you may have about aren't there multiple paths to God? Isn't everyone free to define their own salvation and path to salvation. The words of Jesus himself said, Jesus is the way. That's enough for me. And I am so thankful and I praise God every day for the fact that he changed my heart. He got to me and he changed my heart. In that 11th hour or the 6 a.m. hour, he changed my heart.
And it's so important. It's so important that God does this work in our heart. We're in a world that has all kinds of messages in it about how to live, how to be good, what to do, how to be a man, how to be standing on your own. I don't know about you, but when I start to slip in to this thinking about it's about what I can do and it's about about me and my contributions and it's about me and the light starts to come on to me, things don't go well for me. They don't. And there's a reason why. When I start relying less on Jesus for what he's done for me, I start to see more of me. And that's not good. So having this knowledge, having this knowledge about what God has recorded for us in Scripture, studying are not necessarily bad things and they're, they're good things. But I can share with you as part of my testimony that I approached a relationship with God on the basis of what I knew, what I knew an intellectual kind of faith, that if I just read enough books, if I just read enough books, stuffed my brain with enough information, because that's what we do, that that would, that would be a relationship. But it wasn't. I needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Personal. And it's not about stuffing your head with knowledge and in treating God's holy scripture like a history book, simply a history book, like any other history book that you would pull off the shelf. The scripture, for me, became the mirror for the questions that I had about who am I? What on earth am I supposed to be doing? How did I get so messed up? Um, is there any hope for me? Those things that we think apart from Christ. This became the mirror when I would read scripture and ask God to enter into my heart and do a work. This told me who I was. And this told me what my future is. And all of us in God's family are not promised a perfect no bumps in the road existence for the rest of our life. Oh, quite the opposite. We're going to be, have trials and tribulations. But brothers and sisters, the faith that God has given us gives us the framework for those storms. Jesus is our anchor. The it just isn't enough to know these things. You have to respond to these things. It's possible that some of you today are here and you're investigating these claims. You're investigating these claims of Christ. But you're just not sure. And I need to tell you that 
it's not enough to just know about these things. You must know Jesus Christ, and you must know him as your personal Savior. The only way we can fathom God's immense grace is by knowing Jesus Christ. And to know him and to declare him as our Savior and our Lord. You must absolutely declare your need for Christ. And in doing that, as we repent, and as we turn away, repent means turn, as we turn away from following our will, and our lives, and our goals, and have that be the idol in our life, that be the thing that determines what direction we're going and what we're doing. Repent means to turn from that, to turn from that, orientation and say, no, Jesus, it's about you, and I'm coming to you. So important. It's the most important thing in the world to me. And my prayer is that it is for you. Brothers and sisters, you, you 6 a.m. early risers, you ones who got called to the vineyard and worked through the heat of the day. God bless you. I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of those in the family of God who have never known anything else and that you're a great inspiration for us late-day people. Thank you for responding to God's call. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you, for making away through the darkness for the work the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross his atoning sacrifice that gives us hope his resurrection that proves beyond all doubt who you are and that your promises are good and your promises are true Lord I just lift up this church I lift up Fort William Baptist Church the congregation here, the leaders, the worship leaders, the, the elders, the deacons, all who are involved with helping praise happen here. Lord, and we praise you for this time that you've made for us to be here in worship, in fellowship, and Lord, strengthen us so that we don't just do that here in this building at this time, that our lives are our lives look like Jesus. And in his name we pray.
Amen.